0: Good morning. I think the majority of us in here, if not all of us, believe uh, that God loves us. I think there are a fewer number of us who believe that God likes us. Uh, I think all of you believe in the love of God and that the love of God is for you, I think, there are a few fewer number of us who believe that God simply tolerates us, either because of what we've done and where we've been or because of how we were taught to think of God. And sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around everything God is, that God is the one who can come with great force, yes, he, yet he is also the, the refuge, uh, that God is the hound of heaven. And he is the one who is sovereign and he is overall, yet God also chose to come in the form of an infant in order to engage and save humanity. We're in a series right now called Grow, taking the first eight weeks of the year to talk about what it means to grow into Christ. And every week I lay this invitation in front of you because uh, I want people to understand that with the same desire and passion God has To save you and to save humanity, God has the the same amount of passion and desire to help grow you into the image of Christ. That there's nowhere in Scripture that I see or find where God wants to save people, yet growth is optional. That God wants to save, and then if people decide to live the rest of their lives where they're being formed and shaped and transformed into the image of Christ, then it's kind of here or there, it's that God wants to save and then God wants to develop what God has saved for his purposes. Uh so uh, at our house, there are a lot of these little things that end up all over our home. We Casey and I try really hard to keep them confined in one room, but it seems that Legos make their way everywhere in our house. Uh, they are in a room. They will end up on the floor. They end up in couch cushions. One of the scariest things in my life is when Casey says, hey, can you look in the couch cushions for something? Because I, I don't know if I'm going to come back out alive. You know, I don't know. I don't know what lives in there. Having a dog is easier because he becomes like a dustbuster. You know, like he, he can sniff things out in couch cushions. But the Legos are everywhere. Have you ever stepped on a Lego? They are so small, yet they cause so much pain. I mean, it brings a whole new meaning to shout hallelujah or something, right? I mean, it's... um, My youngest, Noah, is the best in our family with Legos. It's the first thing he wants to do when he comes home from school. And it doesn't matter what kind of Legos they are, Star Wars Legos, Jurassic Park Legos, ball filled with Legos. He loves building things, and he's really, really good at it. He's seven, but he's like an expert when it comes to Legos, Casey loves doing Legos with him. True, we'll do them. I I end up finding them all over the place stepping in them, who knows what. But what I've learned about Legos is you can spend hours creating whatever you're supposed to create with Legos and it only takes a few seconds to destroy it all. Right? Uh, and it's, especially with two young boys and a dog that if you barely leave the hallway door open, he can run in a room and he doesn't have keeping things intact in his mind. I mean, it's, all it takes is a few seconds and something you have worked on for hours can be completely destroyed. And so it is with life, right? That you can spend so many, so many years building your career, investing in a relationship, saving whatever it is you're trying to save. You can build years trying to build a, take years building a reputation and all it takes is a few moments for it all to come crumbling down. One phone call, one test result, one flirtatious moment you allow to go a second beyond where it should have stopped, one click, just one day, one hour, one mistake, and life can come crashing down, or so it seems. There are times in my life that it feels like I'm out on a river in a small boat and it's a fast-flowing river and I have no paddles and I'm just moving at the pace of the water, trying to reach for shore, wanting a different pace, yet there's this fast-flowing river we're caught up in. Um, I'm glad you're here today for whatever reason you did come here. There's some of you who are in the most hopeful, joyful place you've ever been in and I hope and pray you don't come become complacent in that moment but you are grateful for where God has you and what he's doing with you there and some of you come and you hear these sermons the last few weeks about bearing fruit in your life and what you're thinking is Josh I can't really think about bearing fruit because I'm trying to keep my life from falling apart and we come and we celebrate Jesus whose body was broken so that we could be made whole and sometimes I just have to take a moment during the day just to reflect on that Jesus died, his body was broken so that we could be made whole. He died and his body was broken so we could be forgiven. And I reflect on that and I'm grateful for it and I want to embrace it, yet the truth is Jesus's body was broken so you could be made whole, but there's still bills to pay this week. They're still stress in your job. they stress in relationships. So what does it mean for us to follow Jesus and to grow up into Christ when we're surrounded with so much turmoil? So let me take you on a quick journey in the book of Acts. And I want to lead up just to one verse this morning, but I want to help... I want to help you see part of this rhythm that caught hold of the church in the book of Acts. All right? So it goes something like this. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches this sermon. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit descends and is stirring and moving in people's hearts. And 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord that day. 3,000 people were baptized. So the church grew in Acts chapter 2. They experienced this revival. Yet you flip the page to Acts 3 and 4, and there's persecution, and there are threats. And it Begins with the apostles with Peter and John and begins leaking and moving from there to other leaders in the church. But the church goes from experience this revival to experience this time when there's persecution and there are threats and there's unrest, yet the church keep, keeps growing. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says the church went from being made up of 3,000 people to now 5,000 people. And then the rhythm continues. The rest of chapter 4, you have threats and persecution. And now it's not just the apostles and some of the church leaders. Now it's the whole church that is feeling the effect of these threats that are coming upon their lives. Now, most of the threats and persecution you read about in the book of Acts, it's specifically like it's focused on people's lives. Like people are dying or people are being flogged. That kind of persecution. But can you... Can you kind of see like maybe behind the scenes what's also happening in people's lives? There's a cost when it came to following Jesus that they're giving their lives to him. And you don't read about it, but people's jobs are on the line now. Relationships are breaking apart because if you choose to follow Jesus and relatives don't want you to have anything to do with that, like now there's all kinds of tension in people's lives so in chapter 4 the church is feeling these threats if they pray this prayer and go home and read it in verse 24 where the prayer they pray is not for their own safety the prayer they pray is that God will give them boldness to go right back out and preach the word with great boldness to extend the message of Jesus. So, the church is experiencing persecution and they keep pressing into the things of God and what you read in chapter 5 in verse 11 and then again in verse 14 is the fear of the Lord struck the church, but the church kept growing. So what you have is this rhythm of people coming to know Jesus, there's persecutions, there's threats, there's unrest and then the church keeps growing. In chapter 5, it gets to the point where they are flogged in verse 40. They are whipped. And then they embrace it with great joy that they're suffering for the cause of Christ. And in chapter 6, verse 7, you get it again. The church is growing. It seemed that whenever there was unrest... And persecution and threats, the church kept growing because the church kept learning about the things of God, wanting to engage the things of God. So when the church experienced unrest in their lives around them and culture, it didn't cause them to shrink back. It caused them to press into the things of God with even more fierce bravery and courage. So there's conflict, there's tension, cultural challenges, yet there was growth. Because people began to understand what it meant to live a righteous life with God. And righteous before God is more than your status with God. It's more than just an individual status before the Lord. To be righteous before the Lord is that you are engaging in right kind of living. Which for them, it wasn't, hey, let's just get in a room and be safe. Because it's really hard out there. So let's stay here. Instead, what the church did is, hey, the more unrest that comes to us, the more we are going to come together and pray for God to give us boldness because God has given us something so great we can't help but share it with the world. So it was pressing out. Now, up until chapter 9, uh, now this persecution intensifies. There's progression in the book of Acts. It's, hey, the pers- persecution began with Peter and, and John, and then it, it began to move. It hits Stephen in Ch- Acts chapter 7. And now you read about this guy named Saul. who's Now he's not just persecuting church leaders. He's coming for everybody. In Acts chapter 9, he's going to Damascus to to arrest anyone who's connected to the way, women and men. And then Saul experiences the power of God. He has this conversion. It's kind of interesting, you think, in Acts 9. Saul is going into Damascus with a hit list, where he's going to arrest Christians, to put his hands on them, to force them into prison. And what you read in Acts 9 is Saul ends up as the guy who is blind, whose hands are laid on him so that he can come to a greater knowledge of what God's will is for his life. When Saul was baptized, it says something like scales fell from his eyes in verse 18. And I don't know what that was like. We know Saul was a racist, he was a bigot, and for God he had to go for his eyes so that Saul could see the world the way God wanted him to see the world. Yet when Saul gave his life to the Lord and begins uh, living in a way where now he's uh, wants to extend the mercy and grace of God to others. Two different times in Acts chapter 9, his own life that people are threatening to kill him. Two different times. Yet the church kept growing. You come to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Up until this point, the word peace is not used in the book of Acts. There's no mention of peace. And in Acts 9, 31, you see it for the first time. It says, meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. What was true for them is often true for you too, that sometimes the greatest growth in your life does not occur when growth is easy. Often the greatest growth in our lives occurs when life is the most difficult. When you think about the times in your life when you have been stretched and you have grown the most, I bet you can think of specific events that happened where you were tested, you were pressed. And for the church, they have been pressed. Now, uh, I want you to focus on Acts chapter 9.31, but I realize that uh, this, if I see Luke one day in heaven and we're having a conversation, I'm like, dude, great move, man, in the book of Acts. Like you didn't mention peace until like the church developed the rhythm. Luke may look at me and be like, man, I I didn't do that on purpose, man. I I don't know. It wasn't uh, like this intentional move that I waited until Acts 9.31 to put the word of peace in there, okay? So I'm not suggesting Luke may have had a motive. But what I do notice and acknowledge is it's not until the church has developed this rhythm of living with this adventurous faith... And it's not until the church realizes that the good news of Jesus is going beyond just the Jewish people, but to the ends of the earth, that the word peace, this concept of shalom, descends upon the church. And when this happens, you have a combination of a couple of things. In Acts 9, verse 31, one combination is that peace goes with building up, like growing. That there's this combination of peace that goes along with, with growing. That when we are in a state of embracing peace, the peace that comes from God, growth does happen. And there's a number, another combination that you see in this one verse. And it is that people were living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It, they were not reflecting on the fear of the Lord And the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They weren't acknowledging this once a week. They weren't having a Bible study about it. They were living in. They were living from this place of fearing the Lord. Having this awe and respect for everything God is. And also living in and living from this place of a comfort from the Holy Spirit. That God is overall, yet through the Spirit, they were also taught. And they believed this. That that, that the presence of God is closer than their own skin. That the presence of God is inside of them. Now, in Acts 9.31, it also says the church in Judea, in uh, Galilee, and Samaria. It doesn't say the churches. It doesn't say a church. It's the church. It's not churches of Christ, Baptists, and Methodists. It's the church. All the people who were redeemed by God, all the people who were living in all these areas wanting to take their faith seriously, what happened was there was peace and they were built up. Now, uh, the church grew, and even though there was cultural unrest around them, the church continued to grow, and the reason the church grew wasn't because they were attending church growth conferences. It wasn't that they were having Bring a Friend Sunday, and not that any of those things are bad. The church grew because the people of God were encouraged to connect to the vine. And connecting to the vine didn't mean that the difficulties in life were going to go away. But as you endure through the difficulties of life, the challenge for us is to remain connected to the vine, the source of life, the source of peace. Now, peace is not the absence of conflict. All right, right? Sometimes sometimes I think how we think of peace isn't how the Bible teaches peace. Sometimes what we think of peace is, can I just have 10 minutes where nobody bothers me? So I can sit down in silence. I mean, like after like one of my football team loses and you know, we have a little cry in our house and people are getting loud, and they're not respecting my morning, you know, I'm like, well, people just hush your mouths. Like go somewhere else. Show some respect to me, all right? Peace isn't the absence of conflict and peace isn't you just sitting in silence. Philip Yancey talks about uh, ambidextrous faith. really hit home with me. And what he talks about is that what happens in life is a lot of times in our right hand, we are holding the promises and the blessings of God. And then the left hand, we're holding the difficulties in life, trusting God that somehow, some way he's working both of these to accomplish his purposes in and through us. Now, a lot of times what we would love is for the blessings and promises of God to annihilate the difficulties of life. But it doesn't work that way, does it? And if this was a balancing scale for you right now, where there are difficulties in life and you know what they are and you're holding them in your left hand and there are the promises and the gifts of the blessing of God, I don't know for you if it's like this right now, where you're pressing hard into all the promises of God, or if it's like this, where the, ble- the the difficulties of life seem to be outweighing all the blessings of God, and in some ways it seems that that Christians struggle with this sometimes more than non- Christians when it comes to dealing with pain and difficulty in life it's because sometimes as Christians well we can What we can believe is that what the promises and blessings of god are supposed to lead to a happier more successful life And when life isn't happier and more successful We're left to think am I doing something wrong am I not living connected to god? Why are the difficulties of life still here and they're yelling and screaming and vying for my attention Yet I think what we learn when we read scripture and in our own lives is that growth hurts It's painful uh, growth often has its way with us. And I'm not suggesting that every form of pain in your life is God-induced. There's pain in our life that is sin-induced. There's pain in our life because of the fall, because of all creation has gone crazy, and sicknesses and illnesses and, and so many things. And it's not Every form of pain in your life isn't because God is trying to cause pain, but that God can take any form of pain that we are experiencing and can move it and use it to accomplish His purposes in and through us. What I want people to understand, what I want you to understand is peace is not some destination that you need to try to get to that place so you can experience peace with God. It's not a destination. It's not a location. Peace is an avenue. It's a path. In fact, the first use of the word of the word peace when Luke writes Luke and then later he writes Acts is in Luke chapter 1 verse 79. This is in Zechariah's song. And Zechariah is singing because his john the baptist has been born but zachariah is also singing because john the baptist he knows his own son is pointing the way to someone else and what john the baptist says as he's singing the song is that when he's referring to jesus is to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace In some of your versions it's into the path of peace the peace is not a destination or a location you try to get to peace is the avenue it's the journey it's it's, it's the person, Jesus, who enters into your life and walks with you. And the church in Acts grew when they were pressed, and they grew because they didn't lose sight of what their mission was. And when the church was pressed, they grew because they prayed as if their lives depended on it. And when the church was pressed, they grew Because they they knew that life with Jesus is more than trying to defend Jesus or stand for Jesus. But it was a matter of standing with Jesus. And through that, there was peace. So we do this every once in a while uh, here in our church where we have people stand and we pray over you. In just a moment, I'm going to ask people to stand who are in need of prayers of peace today. And we want to have a specific, uh, Tommy Collier is going to lead, one of our elders here is going to lead a very focused prayer over you. But I want you to think about this. Can you identify in your life right now where pain exists? And for some of you, you don't even have to think about it. Like you, you already know you could articulate it. But can you identify where pain exists? And by identifying where there is pain, you can identify where we need the peace of God to be injected in your life. And there are times where you can read Scripture, and the peace of God comes with great force. It does not... It, it intrudes. It doesn't invite itself in. It comes with great force to establish itself in your life or in a church or in a nation or in the world. There are times where God's peace comes with force. There are other times where God's peace comes like a, like a kind guest who knocks on the door of your heart and waits to be invited in or waits for you to remove some things to make room for the peace of God to reign. And more times than I, what you see is that the peace of God comes in the midst of difficulties, and the stress of life, not to annihilate those things, but to be present and to reveal God's presence through it all. Uh, So as I ask in just a moment for those who would love prayers of peace uh, over you today, who are in need of peace, this becomes a form of confession. Now, every confession in the church isn't a person coming to a stage where they get on a mic and they announce something. Sometimes confession happens that way, where we declare what we believe to be true, or we renounce what we believe to not be true, or we renounce the things that don't lead to life. But sometimes we've uh, gotten a little creative with confession here, and sometimes creation is moving to a table to write out a prayer. Sometimes confession is standing where you are and you have no obligation to speak words to anybody here of why you stand It can be before you and god, but it gives us a way to speak and declare blessing over your life today So, tommy call your if you will make your way uh, up to the front And I want to ask those today who are in need of peace in your life You can identify pain or difficulties and you would love to receive a blessing from god today Will you just stand where you are? Bless you. Stand where you are. I don't want anyone to to keep yourself from receiving a blessing from the Lord. And as these people stand, and when I want to ask, as we always do, no one stands alone when we pray. So uh, if you're close to someone who is standing, I just want you to lay a hand on them where they are. And Tommy's going to pray, and then I'm going to. To speak a few more words over us,
1: pray with me, Our Father, Almighty God. all loving all holy all just always truth always grace always mercy Father forgive us when we decide that chaos and dysfunction is simply the norm forgive us when we Feel that fate just has its way with us. You're the master of fate. You're the creator of peace. You sent peace into this world. He lived and he loved and he walked with us. He suffered and he died and he rose again. Peace was victorious. And he reigns that way now. Father, we pray for peace, for Jesus to be in our hearts and in our souls, in our very fiber of being, so that he drives what's important to us. He drives what we love, what we do, what we say. And, Father, in ever-increasing circles, we pray that that peace radiates from us, our marriages, to our families, to our jobs, our relationships with friends, the way we treat those who don't look like us or who don't believe the things that we believe, that peace would reign in our city, in our country, in our world, and peace would reign in this church. And, Father, we pray that as we relinquish our hold on this life and as we grasp the peace of Christ, that will become true instruments of your peace. Father, for those that are standing, for those of us who are sitting, for those kneeling, that are bowed heads, we pray, Father, that we would not only experience your peace, but that our, our hands would be open so that that peace would extend to those around about us. Father, I pray that your spirit will move in us and draw us closer to you. Father, I pray that Jesus would live through us, and be Lord. And Father, I'm thankful that you are God, and there is no other. Amen.
0: And if you will, uh, go ahead and be seated. I want to ask uh, prayer leaders to go ahead and go to your place, the shepherds and Uh, Women who go to receive women for prayer. Uh, For those who stood and for those of you uh, who were receiving that prayer, even if you didn't stand. For all of us who are craving peace this week, uh, peace is not something that we earn. It's not something we work for. We receive it as a gift from God. It's not about... How hard can we study what the Bible has to say about peace this week to receive peace? It's, it's surrendering before the Lord to be able to receive this. This is a gift. Uh, so for some of you who stood, you may need a next step this morning. And maybe a next step is you see the people in this room who have surrounded this place to receive you for prayer. And maybe for you, a next step is to go to someone to articulate and verbalize what it is. You need us to be specifically praying peace over. And I invite you to one of these places uh, maybe for someone in here, you've been moved by the three baptisms we've had over the last week and a half in the life of this church, and it's it's time for you to step into the peace of God, to step into a covenant with God, and today, Tommy's up here to my right to receive you if you want to be baptized into Christ, or if there's something you want to lay in front of this church for us to be praying over. We're going to sing a couple of songs together as declarations. Feel free to make your way to a, one of our prayer leaders, make your way to one of our tables to write out something we can pray over you this week. We take those seriously. Let's stand together as a church and let's lift this up uh, to God.